85 of the Cherokee Rewind. I am Mick. Thanks for hanging out, tuning in. And this time we're going to go just over the state line. Well, kind of all over the state. As uh, we're gonna, this next guy, we're talking to him in his car. Just so if you hear the the hustle and bustle of traffic, that's why it is. That is what you're hearing. Anyway, we're going up there. And we're going to say hi to a guy who. Probably, I, I don't have favorites because trying to pick a favorite player is like trying to pick your favorite kid. You don't. But this is one of those guys that he, uh, even after he played his junior career in Toledo, uh, for some reason this kid just was like a bad penny. I couldn't get rid of him. He just was, uh, we'd always come across each other and always enjoyed seeing each other. And to this day, I still get a big old smile whenever I talk to him. That is Adam Pagula, and Adam, I always try to remember or guess what number on your jersey, and I think it was it number three. Yeah, I was. Uh, so I've been listening to a couple other guys, and I saw that uh, you had healthy on the other day. So I said, "All right, it's it's my turn to get in here." And I was curious which number you were going going to go with here. It was either three because I jumped in eleven. I, I jumped around a little bit, so I was there two years, 07, 08, 08, 09, and if my memory's right, I wore 21 the first year, and came back the second year and wore 27. I might have those two flipped, and then when Jay got shipped out right around Christmas the second year, I was finally able to, to claim three, and then that, that's the number that I've worn since I was 12, maybe. So three is my, my God-given number, I guess. Okay. Uh, well, at least I got part of it right. I was worried there for a minute when you yeah. kicking around 21 and 27. I'm going, oh boy, okay. So anyway, but... Well, you, you had half the numbers to choose from, so I mean, you, you were going to get it right no matter what. <laughs> That's true. But uh, now we'll get into all that here as we go. But uh, let me ask you, uh, now first off, you're just from over the state line. Um, you basically grew up here in the, in the Toledo area. How old were you when you first took the game up? When you first put on a pair of skates? So I am told that I was about 18 months old when I got my first pair of skates. Uh, I was lucky enough, my parents had a pond in their front yard, so we didn't have to worry about getting into IP or anything like that. Uh, I wasn't doing much skating, but I, I at least had them hot. <laughs> but uh, IP started right about two and a half, maybe three years old when I started playing a little bit more formal hockey now how long till you actually got into like a house league i i'm sorry mick i got a call that's called me three times i better take so it's been surprising to me uh listening to everybody else because i thought this was a, a, a absolute fact that if you grew up in toledo sylvania that kitty in the IP program at Sylvania taught you how to skate. I thought like that, that was it. Kitty was the only one that taught you because most of my friends that are nineties or 91s, she's the one that taught them how to skate too. So that would have been about 93, 94 at IP. And then I just stayed in Sylvania for probably the next three or four years after that. Okay. So, you know, now of course you got to two, two years old, whatever it was. Uh, I went out to IP and 
first time out there i don't even think they had the pvc back then you you were given a chair and that's what you skated around with to keep you upright mm -hmm. and i would cry and cry and cry the entire time that i was out there until you know finally kitty got me to enjoy skating and then uh it got to a point that it's time to move on to mini might you know and i ended up uh crying because the mama coach wasn't out there ah. when it was time to play an actual game. <laughs> My goodness. Man, you bonded, dude. Yeah. yeah I, 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 got, I must have latched on to, to Mr. Polanski. <laughs> Kitty. That's funny. That's funny. I, um, I didn't know her as Kitty. I just always knew her as Monica Jablonski. So, but... Um, yeah. But, uh, anyway, so... You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, all those kids that learned from her, oh, my gosh. And I would see her when I'd go over there to do a game and I'd get there a little early. I would always see her in that little tiny little uh, uh, room with the ice, that little sheet of ice in there. And yep. Yeah, that's, that's the only place I ever saw her. And she would always be, you know, on her figure skates and... And I never gave it a second thought because back then we used to use dial-up to do audio for the play-by-play. -play. And I would run a phone line. A friend of mine gave me a, like a 200-foot phone cord. And I would run the phone cord from the fax machine over there where her rink was right next to it. And I'd run it through all the way over into the out to the rink to rink two. That was when we were in Rink. Yeah. And, uh, oh, my gosh, that crazy times back then. Crazy times. So, yeah, now, when you... Fun, fun story about... Go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off there. Fun story about that that little rink. Uh, one of my buddies, he stood in my wedding. His kids are just to be about playing age. Uh, and the, the younger one is, I think he's just turning four. I'm uh, probably butchering that. But... Uh, he's starting to skate out there but he's doing the same thing that i did when I, when i was his age he's crying his eyes out and he doesn't want to go out there and uh i went over there with his grandma because his dad was deployed and mom had to work and i i was like trying to negotiate with him and he's he he, he doesn't want anything to do with it even though we're like coaxing him to be fully dressed at this point and grandma just takes him and throws him out on the ice oh, <laughs> doesn't care what doesn't care what he's saying so he's standing there crying the whole time that is funny oh good night he'll, he'll probably end up like making it at least to playing pro or something now well, it sounds like that's how most of us started out, where, where we don't want to go, and they kind of, they, I'm using air quotes, but they, they force us into it, and then uh, it, we just never look back from there. Yeah, that's true, because eventually you develop the love, the passion for it, you know, and uh, now when you, when you started playing in-house, uh, did, uh, you know, after you, after you got over, you know, the separation from Mama coach, um, how did uh, how, I mean? Did you start playing up front right away, or were you on D? Or at that point, do you guys just kind of rotate wherever? Yeah, I, I spent I spent most uh, I think all the way up until 
my first year at Pee Wee, I, I was playing forward, and I never really, never really wanted anything else. I always wanted to be the one scoring goals, and uh, at least back then, I was one of the faster ones on the team, so I had that going for me, as fleeting as that opportunity was. Um, but yeah, it, it was always it was always forward for me in scoring goals and rushing the puck. Oh, okay. So now, uh, who were your coaches then, when, uh, as you were moving through the ranks there from, you know, many Mike Mostly dads, I think. And, and I'd, I'd have to look at old pictures, but uh, the the Backleys out of Bedford and Ray Morris, Jay Snyder, uh, there are a couple of Toledo Savannah boys. Um, I think between them and my dad kind of coached most of the teams. Uh, Jamie Masters was one of the Sylvania travel coaches. I think he subbed in every once in a while, but I don't I get that's right on the edge of how far back I can remember uh, would be those coaches there. Well, let me ask you, how long did it take you before you started playing travel? I didn't make a travel team until peewee because i was lucky enough that uh first year of peewee i was already somewhere in the the five six to five eight height range so i was head and shoulders above most other kids um and i actually made my first travel team as a defenseman which i absolutely hated but at least it was travel because i played like monroe after after playing sylvania small hockey for a while i went up to monroe and played for the ice hawks on their their Adre League teams for a while. Um, but this was the first taste to actually playing travel hockey was under Dave Backus for Sylvania. Okay. So, I mean, what, can, what uh, made you want to try Monroe? I think it was just kind of the next the next thing up, and I don't remember at that point uh, the small leagues – out of Sylvania, they they weren't all that competitive, and I believe once you got up into that that squirt and peewee range, they were more of B leagues than any, anything else. Um, whereas the Monroe, even though it, it was a, 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 a house league, it wasn't you know you played Melvindale. They were our big rivals, at least for my age group. Uh, teams in that Andre league, um, so there was a little bit more travel. It was a little bit more competitive. Um, and a little bit more my speed, at least at that age. Okay. So uh, now, uh, do you remember any of the guys you played with back then? Uh, were they anybody that you may have run into later down the line? So in the Monroe house days, the only one that really, well, there's a couple that stick out. Danny Hopkins was the bed in those days uh, the monroe house leagues and then moving into sylvania there were a lot of names uh you know guys that, that i remember and that we were pretty good friends with uh, danny hopkins from bedford comes to mind he was he was one of the better ones coming out of that monroe program uh caleb hughes was on the team and i saw him in high school actually playing soccer more than anything else in uh there were a few other guys, but no one that I really played with. The only one from there that ever, I, I guess if you want to call it, went anywhere was uh, uh, Ian Redmond, if the name's familiar. Back when the walleye came to town, he went to the open tryout 
they they opened it up to everybody who was local there and i think he was the only one to come out of that tryout that even made the main camp for the walleye so um i i don't think that i ever really played with any of them again maybe a couple in high school but not not anything past that okay so now um making that jump and then going back to sylvania uh did it did it look like how how did it change for you as far as you know going back to sylvania going to tam O'Shanner? you're very familiar with it but you were gone for a little bit did it uh were the i mean was it like a lot of new faces you had to get to know yeah, for the most part. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there was a, a person on the team that I really knew going back to that travel league, but it was kind of just a, the next level of progression because, you know, going from small and then into Adre, um, no matter what team I was on along the way, I always felt like I was, if not one of the top two or three people uh, skill-wise on the team. And I'm sure that I went to travel tryouts. I don't really recall them all that much. Uh, but at that age, it was more of a, hey, this is how hockey is, and this is the team you play for. I didn't really understand much of what was going on behind the scenes. And uh, especially when you're playing in those house leagues, when they have a draft, you, you got a new team every year anyways. You might know one or two guys, but um, it's not like you really grew up with anybody. Um so going to Sylvania, uh, that's that's when uh, I started playing with Andy Backus. He was a Bedford boy. Zabanski, I believe he was Northview. Uh, a couple of those guys. Uh, but you, you make new friends along the way, you know. Yeah, that's true. So um, now, when you played, uh, when you played back in Sylvania, uh, did did. Uh... I mean, what was it like for you as far as were you more of a, a I mean, because I know of what you were with, with the Cherokee, but was it different when you were, you know, coming up? Were you able to be more of an offensive-minded person, or were you always one of those grinders that, uh, you know, played rough and, and tried to, you know, keep your guys protected and yet still be able to maybe get the odd goal? So Sylvania, uh, Bacchus had me playing defense there, uh, which I I get that I was probably better suited to play defense given my skill set, but I couldn't stand it. Um, and being one of the bigger kids on the ice, one of the things that I really enjoyed was being able to hit back then. So maybe that's where I started to go down that, that grinder path. Um, it wasn't until the next year I ended up making Tom Lopez's ice diggers team. And I know the, the 89, 90, 91 diggers teams and storm teams, uh, were all really talented. I know the 89 team won nationals. I think the 87 team won nationals. 91 team came in second a couple of times and we came in third, uh, while I was there, but we were just absolutely stacked. Um, that team had Boehner and Kolb and Carter as the first line, if I'm remembering correctly. And then Danny Lopez and this kid we brought in from Cleveland, Vince Mahalik, and I'm, I'm blanking on the third kid on their line. Uh, so just two lines of absolute firepower. And then Will Grossman and 
Alan Clark and I play, were playing on the third line, and we only had three lines. But I remember you, this was right when the internet was getting big and you could check where you ranked nationally. And here we are, a bunch of 12, 13-year-olds playing hockey, ranked number one or two in the country uh, for that entire season. Um, and, and that's when I think I, I really started to get a little bit more of the offensive flair. I was never the prettiest one on the ice, but uh, that's where I started really filling the net, I think. Wow, that's cool. Now, um, so uh, you play over there. What ended up putting you, uh, I mean, as far as where did you go from there? Did you make uh, any thought of playing high school? Yeah. Oh, Sneeder. It was Brandon Sneed, Adam's little brother. He was the one that was on the line with Danny. Um, so that that was that was gonna bug me until it, it was such a small team. You knew ever you could name the whole roster, and I didn't even get into the D. And they were probably better than the forwards. But uh, as far as high school goes, that was I think eighth grade and ninth grade years when I played on the those Diggers teams, and ninth grade is when we came in third at nationals. Uh, so I didn't start playing high school till sophomore year. Uh, and I remember they had summer skates and, uh, I went to St. Mary's down in Monroe, Michigan. And there were a couple of kids that I, on the team that were, were really big boys. Uh, especially this one kid that I had gone to grade school with that I didn't even know had played hockey and he was an upperclassman. Uh, I can't remember if he was a junior or a senior when I was a sophomore coming in, um, and we go into the corner, and the kid, just, he, he, he hit me pretty good. You know, he, he laid me out, but it's it wasn't like a great hit or anything, just the fact that he had 50 pounds on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had 50 pounds on me. Uh, you know, call it what it is. It was a good hit. And uh, I remember my dad was standing in the corner uh, next to a couple of the other dads at the time, and because it was my first skate with them, they didn't know who he was. And one of the other dads goes something along the lines of, oh, yeah, welcome to high school hockey. And my dad isn't one to really pull punches, and he just starts laughing, like, because it wasn't that great of a hit. Yeah, I felt no, it wasn't that great, actually. Like, I, I just because of the quality of players and the schedule that we played at for the Diggers, um, it wasn't that big of a deal to go to high school hockey at that point. So, now, uh, did you play any? Uh, uh, how long did you play? Uh, was it? Uh, well, let me ask, where did you play high school or no? So my sophomore and junior year, I was there. Yeah, I, I ended up playing two years at St. Mary's in Monroe. Uh, my sophomore and junior years there, um, and we we had a pretty good team. We were the program itself was only a couple years old, maybe maybe three or four years old when I got there. Uh, but we, we had a lot of talent over there. Michigan kids were looking for somewhere to play because they all had to come either go up to up to the icebox or in Brown Brownstown or come down to Toledo. So you know the fact. That, yeah, yeah. Now you play a couple of years of high school, uh, 
so do you, is that when you made the jump to juniors or did you play anywhere else in between? Uh, no, I, I went straight from uh, high school juniors. I took a little bit of a different path getting to the Cherokee, though. Um, so before my junior season, which was my second year of high school, I had heard that that's when I really found out um, what junior hockey was. And I still didn't really know what, like, what the process was or anything. Um, so I, I went to the Metro Jets camp as a 16-year-old and just absolutely lit it off that, that season. And uh, I made it to the final game. I had a couple of buddies from my high school team that were on that team. But uh, for whatever reason, I didn't end up making it that year. Um, so I went back and played my junior season. And that was when my coach moved me back to defense uh, in my, for my high school team. And kind of the writing was on the wall. Like, if you're going to play here, you're going to play D. So I said, all right, well, I'm not going to play here then. And I ended up going to the Motor City Chiefs tryout before my senior year of high school. And again, just absolutely tore up the tryout. And uh, I don't even think it was their main camp. This might have been one of their first camps. Um, They actually ended up offering me a spot on the team. And I I signed the paperwork. But then just kind of sitting there like, is this really what I want to do? Do I really want to not play? my my next year of high school hockey and took the paperwork home with me um and then called my high school coach up and told him what was going on and what my intentions were and he basically said oh you don't want to go there uh here let me make a couple of phone calls and he ended up calling me back like not even two hours later and saying, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down to Toledo. The coach is Ian Duncan. You're going to go talk to him, and you're going to go play for the Cherokee. So I ended up doing that, and uh, I guess uh, the rest is history, as you say it. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. when you make that jump to dunk, that's, uh, that's quite a jump. Uh, so you, what was it like when the first time you stepped on the ice at the Ice House uh, uh going trying to earn a spot with the Cherokee so I I guess I I didn't have the nerves or anything that I hear a lot of the other guys talk about just because of the way that it was kind of communicated to me you know it was uh hey you're going to you're not going to go play for this team you're actually going to go play for this team instead so I kind of walked into camp as a 17 year old assuming that I had a spot. I had no reason not to believe that. Um, so I didn't I didn't really have the nerves that a lot of the other guys talk about. But, I mean, going in there, uh, what was it like being in that locker room? Was there anybody else that you recognized or that you knew? Oh, yeah. So playing with Boehner and Cole uh, a couple of years before that, I knew them. Um, and just playing for the diggers and being around uh, uh, the ice house, I, I knew the local guys not well or anything, but uh, I knew who they were. Um, I, I guess I've always taken more of a business-like approach when I play that 
I, I really don't pay all that much attention to the, the guys that are around me in the locker room because it, as much as we become friends or family or however you want to term, term it, you know, we're all there looking for the same spot on the team, you know. May, you know, you might end up a third or fourth liner, but everybody wants to be in the first or second line, you know. So now, uh, do you remember your first game? I do. Uh, for a couple of references to the debut game where the guys walked out in their gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not in that game. I, I played the second game on that that back-to-back. Uh, and that was, you know, obviously we've talked about, or you've talked about Dubuque before, the stadium that they had. There's nothing else to do in the city. They pack it in there. So uh, we ended up playing uh i think we lost either two to one or three to two in overtime yeah. uh and i, I might have only got four or five shifts in that game but you know that was my role on the team and uh the one thing that i do remember that was pretty memorable about the game is i was coming back on a back check with like eh, seven or eight minutes left in the third period i think it was still tied at that point one one or whatever the score was and this guy was hounded in Mark Farrell at the blue line. And I, I just, on the back check, kind of gave him a shot to the ankles as I skated by. And I hear over my shoulder something to the effect of, oh, are you going to gonna do something about it? And not really thinking, you know, I said, yeah, I'll do something about it. And I dropped my gloves and turned around. And it's like the scene in the movie where you, you do that and then you have to look up to see who you're turning around to fight. Uh, <laughs> so you talked about dial-up internet and in, uh, going back to Sylvania, uh, calling the games. My parents in 2007 uh, still had dial-up internet at their house. So they're listening and it's one of those things where they're getting about every fifth word probably about as well as the calls coming through on my end now yeah um and they so they hear you going oh pagula drops he's gonna fight they're circling down goes pagula you know like the the great frazier call oh yeah (laughs) i think i think he hit me one time broke my jaw and it was not good uh debut to the the fighting side of this show oh man oh but you know the thing is is that you by gosh you did not like you know how some guys are like oh man i just got my butt whipped and uh no you were like you still had that cocky look on your face i don't know if it was just because you're cocky so, or you were like stunned a little bit a little bit b so the the story keeps getting better uh so i he broke my jaw with that hit and uh he takes the front two teeth and kind of pushes them down like lower in my mouth and then backwards so i go to the locker room come to find out dubuque doesn't have a doctor in house that day uh, so Mo shows up, and the best thing that him and I can come to an agreement on is for me to just bite down on my mouth guard and shove my teeth back into my mouth. Oh gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, so that's what he has me do, and uh, it, lo and behold, it works. You know, poor Huron didn't claim him for nothing or call him up for nothing. So, so I go back out. He hands me a full of gauze, and I go back out on the bench. 
and Duncan doesn't realize I'm there for five minutes because he didn't realize that I was there for five minutes half the time anyway. And uh, he looks down and he, he just got this, what the hell are you doing look on his face. <laughs> oh, my God. So... And that, so that year was a three-night uh, trip to start out, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We actually played in Peoria on the back end, or maybe it was Chicago, one of the two. So obviously, you know, I'm 17 years old, new to the team. I'm not going to be a crybaby about anything. I just say, yeah, I'm fine, and, you know, take some Advil, even though my jaw is killing me the entire time. And uh, – so it's it's Monday or Tuesday before I actually get around to seeing an oral surgeon. And the guy's like, well, the bone's basically reset at this point, so I'd have to re-break your jaw to, <laughs> to, to move your teeth around again. So to make it matters absolute, absolutely worse, and this will be the end of this very long-winded story, um, I had braces for five years. I got them off the weekend before that trip. Oh, oh man. <laughs> My parents were not happy. <laughs> I guess not. I'm surprised they didn't pull you from the team. Oh, my gosh. That is, jeez, <laughs> Louise. That is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's bad, but it is funny. Holy smokes. So that was your introduction yeah. to junior hockey, you know, uh, playing for the Cherokee, huh? Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah, fun times. Now, do you remember your first goal? Yeah, it was an absolute beauty. Uh, For whatever reason, I think I had seven or eight goals spread between two years. So, natural lamplighter, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, my dad, my dad uh, says that I play very much like Thomas Holmstrom, where if you combine the total distance from the goal that I scored, it wouldn't make it down the ice in an entire season. <laughs> uh, when you're only scoring four goals, I guess that's not really saying much anyway. But anyway, so uh, for whatever reason, I had an affinity to scoring against St. Louis. I, I could just always I, – I played a great game against them. And uh, – so we were in St. Louis. It was actually my brother's birthday in October. And I came in on a rush and I went to take a shot and hit a shin pad like, you know, I do. And uh, the puck goes into the corner and I'm at the end of a shift. So I say, screw it. I'll just throw it on net. So I kind of 360 threw it on the net, literally from the goal line in the corner. And I don't know how many sticks and shin pads and the goalies that it hit, but it ended up going in the net. So uh, just an absolute snipe of a shot. <laughs> uh, they should have called you pinball. Uh, but, uh, gee whiz. But now, you know, but still, they don't ask you how. They ask you how many. And, okay, well. we'll, we'll three. Uh, three is the answer. <laughs> okay, well, we'll leave that alone. Anyway, um, yeah. but. Uh, now, I guess the thing I'm trying to think of is, do you remember at all who you played with as far as on your line uh, that first season? Yeah, so uh, this is where my memory starts to fail, and I, I might be flipping the years here. The first year, I believe, was David Mayville and Helty. No, I, that would have had been because that's the only year I played with Helty. Um 
Yeah, so it, it was Mayville and Healthy when we did play together. And I know Healthy apparently has a better memory than I do. He, he said that we didn't play together all that much. So um, I think what ended up happening, though, is I was the 13th forward most of the games that I played. And so uh, they kind of plugged me in where, wherever they could fit me. Okay. And, uh, I mean, obviously your role was supposed to be that of – bringing some physicality and uh, some toughness and some and also to protect guys like healthy even though they didn't really need per se because they were pretty <laughs> tough in their own right but i mean still you were the grit guy you were the guy that uh, uh you know who had to bring bring uh, the little uh, a, a bit of the uh, kick butt mentality to uh, to what was going on uh did you see uh, how did it go with you as far as playing that first year under Dunk? Uh, you know, it, it was frustrating. It, it's funny uh, hearing you say that that was my role because I uh, I talked all the time with my the guys that are now my brothers-in-laws and my brother, and they always said, oh, yeah, he was a fighter in juniors. He was an, uh, an enforcer. And I said, well, I've never been an enforcer that wasn't six foot tall. And I, I just, I never really looked at myself that way. I wouldn't call myself a defensive forward either, or I guess grinder is the best term. Um, but, you know, it, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you were talking to Healthy the other day. It's, it's uh, I just kind of did whatever needed to be done for me to stay in the lineup. And I wasn't always all that great at it. Um you know, Duncan and I had a perfectly fine relationship. I, he's the type of coach that I actually gravitate towards uh, because he challenge you, challenges you to be the best version of yourself every day. And uh, that, that's very similar to the way that I like to, to lead my life. Um, but so I think the frustrating part is just not being in the lineup every day and, and the toll that that takes on you. Uh, when you don't know when you're going to the rink, whether or not your jersey's going to be hanging up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. understandable. Um, now, uh, tell me uh, a little bit about some of the other guys you played with. I mean, obviously you talked about Healthy, Mayville, and uh, Bubba, and uh, Brent Bain. Uh, tell me about some of the other guys that were on that team that you remember. What were they like? <laughs> yeah, so uh, that was a year. Matty Ock, Lyndon Smith, I think Fish and Sexy were there. Uh, Clark was there. I ended up. I think I I fought Clark in the the uh, camp, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, who was that Southern kid? Sal Ragusa. He was there. Timmy Farrell Goodell. Uh, oh man. Was Wally there that year or the next year? I think it was the next year, Ryan Wall. Was it? Yeah. yeah I don't think but, yes, yeah, so, uh, it, it was that group. Uh-huh. And Wall was like a, a manster, man, half man, half monster. Uh, that dude looked – he looked like he was 40. I mean, he looked like Ogie Oglethorpe. And, uh, you know, it it comes from Florida of all places. And what's he? what's that guy doing on the ice? You know, it's like I expect. To, yeah. You know, I expect to look in the stands and see his like his wife and four kids. You know, it's like 
it, he did. He looked like he just looked like way older than he was. It, he was it was a he was a riot, you know. Um, yeah, it, Wally was good. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was after the first time or the second time or the third time that I got my uh, the sense knocked out of me in a fight. He he kind of took me under my wing and and showed me a thing or two. Uh, you know, and I, if I'm not mistaken, he held the title that year in the league after, oh man, I remember we were playing Dubuque. This one was actually in Toledo this time. And that was when Coppersmith held, held the belt in the league and Wally, he, he, Wally was holding him up, just feeding him at center ice. Oh my gosh. It was one of the best fights I've ever seen in person. But Wally beat the wheels off of him. But anyway, he kind of he took me under his wing a little bit and showed me a thing or two of how to protect myself and uh, you know not get my jaw broke every time it was necessary to drop the clubs. Well, that's true. That's a good thing. That's a good teammate. Um, now, who was the who was the kid? I'm trying to remember who fought. Uh, I remember Billy Worst was the guy that went after Jr. Um, and uh, tried to uh, summary or something like that. Tried to take a swipe at him, and uh, Jr. like uh, summaried him, and he went flying into the post, and that started the big brawl after the hit from Nick Jost that pretty much started everything. Um, and then yeah, so you're a year before me there. That's oh six oh seven. That was uh, Sally was on that team. Oh, that's right, Ryan that's Sell. That's right. Never. I was just trying yeah. to remember the guy. But, but I've the seen, I've seen the YouTube play enough. I, I'm try, I was trying <laughs> to see the, uh, the, um, who the kid was that fought. I think it was, was it Siple or was it Jr. That they, uh, the one tough guy. I don't know if it was Coppersmith or if it was Kevin Sunday or who it was that tried to fight. And then I remember, I know Jr. Just unloaded on somebody. And then Seiple fought two guys at the same time and beat them both. Um, oh man, that's gonna drive me nuts. Anyway, but uh, so but that was uh, the, yeah that was the thing about back then, man. Dubuque, uh, they owned they owned us. I mean, they were in our head, living rent free, until I think like the last time they came to Toledo, the very final time they came to Toledo for a weekend, a home uh, for both games. And we beat them each time in overtime. And uh, I think it was like yeah, yep. like 2-1 and 2-1. There was similar scores or something like that. I know there were one-goal games. We beat them in overtime. And that was like – it was like after that, that's when they made the jump back to the USHL. So they went back to being the fighters. Well, help me set the record straight here. So they were in the NA, and they got dropped from there for – a multitude of reasons and they were basically playing an na team in a cshl mask basically and that's why they ran rampant for a couple of years there i mean i think the first year i played they went what did, what did we play 54 games they went 52 one and one or something like that well they were originally a ushl team was that was that what it yeah, was they were originally a ushl team <laughs> and then they yeah. they got but I, I remember cuz I remember they left the USHL and they got dropped uh, for whatever the reasons were, the punishments or whatever. I don't know what all happened, but all, yeah, all, yeah. all I know is that they became the fun. They went for, they were the Dubuque Fighting Saints, 
and then they became uh, the Dubuque Thunderbirds when they were in the CSHL. And they once they they I think they got an agreement to build a new barn uh, to go back to the USHL, and they went to the uh, so that Five Flags Center or whatever. Um, gotcha. Yeah, they uh, as a beautiful barn I thought, but they wanted a new rink, so they they got a new uh, they got a new barn, and they went and uh, once they had that then. They got to be able to go back to being in the USHL. I think it was because of seating capacity. They needed more seating capacity to qualify for to have a USHL franchise. So I, gotcha. Yeah, I remember because they came to Toledo towards the end of the year, and three two somewhere in there. I think the second game was. Uh, the the Bain and Bubba show and it was like a six to five game for some reason that and it was on BCSN it, it sticks out in my mind that way I could be uh, ha- suffering from too many con- yeah well you know hey nobody's perfect no worries there but that seems sick but still I mean yeah the fact that we finally beat them the last <laughs> the last two times we played them and at, 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 let alone at home. But uh, it was just so it was so satisfying to actually beat them and know that no matter what, you know, we still could say we beat them. And yeah, they had I mean, Joe Coombs, for better, for worse, love him or hate him. That guy, that Joe Coombs knew how to put on a show when it came to his his players. And, you know, he I mean, he made you he made you think about them before you even took to the ice. I mean, it was just frightening sometimes. So, let me... me, You know, I... Go ahead. So, so talk about a show. uh, I've heard a couple of times, and we, we mentioned it earlier, that game where the guys had to walk back to the bus with their gear on. What hasn't been mentioned and what I got to see sitting in the stands that day is what the team did is they take a chair out on the ice and select a lucky lady from the crowd. And then I can't remember if it's one guy or a bunch of guys start uh, dancing for the lady to like Britney Spears music on the ice and the crowd's just going crazy the entire time. Oh my God. Yeah, and this is after they just beat the wheels off us like eleven to one or whatever that game was. Yeah, and uh, it's like all I I remember that, and all I can remember saying to somebody was, "And that's why they live in Dubuque." You know, I was not impressed. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. not impressed. It's an old city. I mean, there's a lot oh, of historical old stuff, but there's like nothing to do there unless you either a Love, love hockey and B, love to drink. Uh, that's probably about all there is to do. <laughs> I, I'm sure there, you know, somebody from Dubuque will go, oh my God, we got all this, 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 and this. And I'm going, okay, fine, you go do that then. You know, because I just, I have not been, I was not impressed. I mean, there's, uh, like I said, if there were things to do, if there's like any really cool things to do and stuff, I could understand it. But, no, there's not. There's just not. And so I'm just like, man, I'm glad I, you know, 
I, 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 even I make fun of Toledo, you know, for all its faults and stuff. <laughs> but man, I, I, after being in all the different cities in the league that we went to, I mean, obviously, you can't really compare Toledo to like Detroit or to St. Louis, you know, or anything like that. But aside from those, I would, I, I, I I'm so glad I live in Toledo. Faults and all. I'm 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 happy being part of the Glass City because it helped. Yeah. Man, it's like there's stuff to do even when you don't know what to do. You know, and and, and there's and, right, yeah. Now all that aside, I think Dubuque might have had the best hotel we stayed in because is that where we always stayed at the Drake? The, yeah, the one, yeah, was, or the Drury. I'm thinking. It's the yeah Drury. It's right next to. It was right next to the to the rink, or just down the street from the rink, I believe. Or no, wait, I'm. And, and that that was the best hotel we stayed in all year. Well, the, <laughs> uh, we used to stay in Cincinnati. We used to stay at the Drury a few times, I know. And then to save money, we went literally across the street from the Drury to some little no-tell motel. It is nice. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't the Drury. Because the Drury, I, I loved it as an adult. You guys weren't supposed to anyway. But uh, they had like free, uh, every. they had a happy hour in the evening at like from like five to six or six to seven. Uh. And they would have free, uh, free booze and free wings or hors d'oeuvres of some sort. And you just go sit there and, you know, you just, it's like, man, I just, it was like, I love this place, you know? And, and so, you know, we would do that. And they, I, I think they still do that at the, well, post COVID. Yeah. You know, but. Uh, so, see, I, I, as a rookie, my favorite part, the carpets were so soft. That's where you slept as a rookie. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> you, yeah, you take it where you can, you know? Just do it. Yeah. So, but, oh yeah. Now, who were some? What was some of the like uh, that, if you can remember, uh, even from either either year, uh, what were some of the fun memories you have of some of the, like uh, pranks and the goofy silliness and stuff that went on back then? So, you know, I, I've heard you ask this question to a couple of different guys, and everyone throws out fish, and, and Mop Wall, obviously, is the one that sticks out in my mind. I, I, I guess I, I kind of, to my earlier point, I kind of kept my head down, and I didn't really pay attention to that. Richie shared that story of uh, Timmy Kerr filling my stick with water, oh, yeah. and I, I, don't e I don't even remember that happening to like Richie's like oh yeah he just took the tape off and went back to work and I'm like I don't even remember taking the tape off <laughs> so uh, I guess I just kind of had my head down but if I, if I had to pinpoint somebody it'd be Wall you know uh, he did that one before it got mainstream where he'd take a shampoo and keep adding it to your head in the shower without you realizing he was doing it there, <laughs> there were a couple of uh, the different stories we can share about him. Uh, he uh, he shows up back from Florida wearing a bikini underneath his clothes and like doesn't say anything at all. Just starts getting dressed in the locker room and he's got this bikini oh on underneath. <laughs> only, only Wally could be pull off something like that. Oh jeez. It, it was it, the thing wasn't made for somebody of his size. No. I don't think there is one that is made for anyone like him. Oh, my God. Oh, Wally. 
Oh man, that guy, and he, like I said, he looked way older than he was. And uh, so, so the best part about that story, and if I'm remembering it correctly, he was running late. So that means he wore the bikini on the plane to come home. And this is after, you know, TSA and everything gets so hardcore. Somebody had to screen him. So they saw this this monster of a human being, this man-child, wearing a bikini underneath his tree clothes. Although if you figure probably the fact that it was Florida, I'm sure they probably thought, eh, another Florida guy. Uh, there you, go. you know, another Florida guy. There you, you go. Know, you know, but uh, that's funny. Oh, my gosh, that is funny. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's like I was thinking about uh, to some of the because, I mean, we had, you know, they always try to uh, peg you as, as as strictly a tough guy. But you weren't the only guy out there that that was afraid to mix that wasn't afraid to mix it up. I mean, did you, uh, Richie, um, Wally, obviously, uh, I mean, there were a number of guys, uh, even Helty, who like healthy just like to tick people off because that was just what healthy did he was just he was a good defensive forward who really knew how to get under people's skin and uh, speaking of which in the dictionary you'll see a picture of mark farrell but um yeah you know, but uh still i mean there were there were some rough and tumble guys on on, on those dunk teams uh and stuff and i'm trying to remember uh we uh, were you with us when it was uh, uh, Duncan? I know Dunk was coaching, and our our and Tarsh. Oh, and Tarsh, yep. And then our bus yeah. stalled. Our bus stalled in like Illinois. We were trying to go to like Peoria, I think. And Bob, the bus driver, I'll never forget. I guess there was not there. They had to go and find a gas station not to put gasoline in. But because the water for the uh, all the uh, the circulating water for uh, the ra- not only the radiator or I can't remember what they used they used it for everything you know it had to be a certain level of water yeah. and there was none and so we had every so what ended up happening is every time we'd start to drive the uh, the the bus would stall out and we were in the middle of nowhere I mean nowhere. And finally, we found a gas station that had water that we could use and fill up. And I mean, Dunk was ready to come unglued. He was on the bus sitting there, just talking about Bob like Bob wasn't even sitting ten feet away from him. And uh, and he, he was. He was just going off on Bob. And I'm sitting there just like trying not to laugh, trying to keep a straight face because I knew Dunk was was ticked off. And I'm just oh my god, I was just like ready to like it because he was he it was so funny because he's just ripping bob a new one and bob's looking straight ahead not saying a word just you know then he gets off the bus goes and tries to put some more water in and all this other stuff and just finally we get it rolling and uh we get to the i think we get to the hotel and then we have to wait because they didn't have all the rooms clean and i i thought i thought dunk was going to kill someone and, and oh my god I, I just sit there and I'm just going I think I'm going to go for a walk <laughs> you know it's just safer that way yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Dunk's usually no, even I... when he gets mad he's usually pretty level headed but he was just not having a good day that day 
<laughs> no, no. I, I think that was the year, the year before me, but. I remember one of his epic rants. Uh, maybe it wasn't so epic, but it's, this one sticks out to me. And I couldn't tell you who we were playing, uh, but I was in the lineup, so it couldn't have been anybody good unless it was St. Louis because I seemed to play against them. But you know how Dunk had the 20 and 20 rule. Everybody on the roster had to have a hit and a shot and uh, something else. But whatever, you had to have at least a hit and a shot every period. Otherwise, why were you even in the game? And he comes in, and it's like, I think it's after the first period. It might be after the second period. And he looks down at the score sheet, and he's just going off at people. And he says, Kula, you don't have a you don't have a hit. You don't have a shot. Why do I even dress you? And I didn't say anything. I really wish I had a one-liner ready. I hadn't played a shift that game yet. <laughs> he's screaming at me because I didn't have a shot at, on net. <laughs> Had a ship. Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Oh, although in, in Dunk's world, you probably still should have had at least two hits, even though you didn't have a ship. Yeah, that, that one's on me. <laughs> oh. I really just wanted to be like, sorry, coach, it's hard, it's hard to hit somebody from the bench. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, that, that's why I love Dunk, though, man. He is, uh, he is such a I love that guy. I really do. He is, he is such a – I have him sometimes on my radio show uh, to talk a little hockey and stuff, NHL stuff and everything. And we I, – I spend more time laughing with him. He is such – I mean, he is – I mean, he isn't as uh, – uh, he's still got that intensity. He always will. But he's not uh, mani- as maniacal as he used to be. I'll say that. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he's, oh, yeah. he's, become, he's, he's really become a good friend and a good guy. And I really, really love the guy. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, he cracks me up, though. He's got that biting sense of humor uh, at times. But, yeah, that now that is a good story, Adam. That is funny. Now, uh, so you played two years. Did your role change in the second year at all any more than in the first? Or did you see yourself in, the, in, in that same uh, same type of role? So the second year, uh, the first year we ended up being about, I think it was fifth or sixth in the league. It won all. Uh, we didn't do that great during the regular season. And when we went to Dubuque and, I think we did all right in the playoffs, but we didn't really do anything much. The second year, that's when Johnny and uh, Evan Johnson and a couple other guys joined. And I didn't realize this until I heard someone say someone say it on the podcast that we were near first or second in the league. Um, unfortunately, with that meant that my ice time actually went down the second year. And that that one, the games I was in, I was more of a, of a 13th forward because I, I honestly couldn't tell you, you know, I played with Richie and Kelsey a couple of times, but I don't know that I really had regular line mates that year. Okay. Uh, but uh, And also, too, you got to remember, too, you were hurt. I remember that. I mean, getting your bell rung up. Oh. That was not pretty. So uh, the first one was actually in practice. What was his name? Uh, uh, Chicago kid, Elmore. Elmo. Oh, yeah. So Duncan, Duncan used to have us do that uh, drill where you trade sticks for uh, warm-ups at practice. So righties play lefty, lefties play righty. 
and uh, I was 18 then, so I had the half shield on. And Elmo goes to take a backhand, but he the curve of the stick, it was a forehand shot, even though he was taking a backhand. And it went straight up and drilled me again in the jaw. Um, and I remember just shaking it off, and we kept playing and practicing and whatever. And so I could taste the blood, but I didn't really know it was there. Like, I didn't know how bad it was. So I'm just, like, kind of spitting it out whenever I got it. And uh, I think it might have been either Richie or Tarsha finally looks at me. And I, I kind of say, hey, is somebody else bleeding? Like, there's a lot of blood on the ice. <laughs> and he looks at me, and I, I ended up getting, like, 36 stitches that day. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So I, I had another another fractured jaw, uh, thirty six stitches. That one was two days or three days before Thanksgiving. So that that one that one sucked. Oh yeah. No kidding. Ouch, man. And, but I mean, you, and how many concussions then, do you think you had? Whenever I try to count them, I come up in the nine to thirteen range. Um, of course, those are not, uh, from a medical standpoint, the official answer is something like three. Uh, and my nine to 13 is the old 90s and early 2000s way of counting, not the dusty and stars, because I think if you use the new definition of concussion, there's a lot of us that would have never made it through an entire game. I remember, so the one I, I know you're talking about is against Motor City, and it's actually a kid that I played spring league against that hit me. Um, I, it wasn't a suicide pass. I was just dumb with the way that I picked it up on the boards. Uh, would have been the closer boards to you away from the bench, and uh, I, I kind of came off the boards and then turned back towards the boards to go up the ice. And when I did that, I put my back to the center of the ice and then turned quickly. So he just ended up catching me right as my head came around. And I, I don't think I ever even saw him coming, but I, I saw the tape and it's like Bambi walking on ice at the beginning of that movie. Uh, it, it wasn't pretty me get, trying to get up. So I end up going to the locker room and I think it was that year that they started having us do like the pre uh exams where you had to take like a bunch of questions and you had to get the standard answers and then answer them correctly afterwards and i remember they asked me oh you know what team do you play for and i looked down and i saw my jersey so i was able to answer the question but they didn't count it and they asked you know what building are we in and i at least recognized the locker room so i got that one right but they still wouldn't take it because I'm, I'm looking around to get these answers uh, and then finally they go, well, you know, uh, what's the capital of Ohio? And I said, how the hell am I supposed to know that? And apparently that's the same thing I said when I wasn't concussed. So they let, they let me go back out on the ice. <laughs> oh my God. That is funny. So it, uh, all things being equal, I find out who the guy was that hit me and him and I dropped the gloves and he beat the wheels off me. So this was the second to last game of the season. And uh, I remember that was the game, one, uh, another game against Motor City. They got chippy. They all did. But uh, with like three minutes left, Goody got speared in the corner. And this is when 
I realized that I didn't understand the rule about fighting in the CSHL. I thought you got two fights, and the third one meant you got kicked out. Apparently, it's only one fight, and the second one you get kicked out. So what ended up happening, it was the third from last game of the season. I went out, tried to fight the kid that speared him, ended up fighting a different kid, got a game misconduct for fighting under five minutes, and then another one for having a second fight of a game. And got suspended for the last two games of the season. Uh, we end up going to Dubuque, and I came down with the nastiest flu bug that I think I've ever had in my entire life. And I was laid up sick the entire time we were in the playoffs. Um, and I actually, I actually didn't get to play another game after that. Holy cow! That story took a little bit of a turn at the end, but <laughs> wow, that's I mean, that's awful. I mean. You know, as far as for your, you know, to wanting to play juniors the whole nine yards and then to have an end like that, ouch. Yeah, I, I, if I'm being completely honest, you know, I think the writing was on the wall a little bit. About midway through the year, I kind of realized, hey, this just isn't going to work out. Um you know, I, I had a little bit of, of motivation and, and wondering if I could make it to the next level because I remember Dougie Teske uh, was with the goalie coach back then. And I, I just remember at one point in the season, it, it's always stuck with me. He kind of, you know, everybody had their moment, you know, where it was their turn to light a fire under everybody, uh, even the players. And he was he was talking about something, and I wasn't paying attention because I'm the 13th forward when I am playing, so it doesn't really matter. And he singled me out as one of the guys that does uh, this right every single time. And you know, if everybody played like that, then we'd be we'd be winning more games or something to that effect. And right around that time is when the coach from Marquette came down uh, and skated with us at one of the practices and again they, they kind of talked to me and said hey you know keep working hard it was me Bane Bolter and Bubba were the the four that got talked to and but midway through the season and I'm I'm playing the way I am and working as hard as I am I just kind of said you know what it's this this isn't going to work out unfortunately uh, you know, if I'm if I'm doing all of this just to be at this spot in this level, what happens when I do get to Marquette? You know, I, I'm gonna have to work twice as hard to maintain the same level, and it, it's just not it's not the place that I want to be in. So that's kind of when I made the decision to, to that I'd had about enough of juniors, and unfortunately, uh, it was probably time to start looking at playing hockey for fun. Not that I wasn't playing for fun, anyways, but. Yeah, but uh, yeah, going from being very competitive to you know adult beverage leagues. Yeah, exactly. So, no. so I, I took a stop at UT. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't it wasn't the change that I was looking for. Um, at that point in my life, after working so hard to play for the Cherokee, uh, like I said, I was just looking to have fun and. Uh, I had a buddy, uh, again, the kid that I was talking about earlier where I was taking his kid IP lessons. Uh, he was playing for UT at the time, and he said what an absolute blast it was. All they do is go on road trips and, and you know, have fun, and it was the epitome of college hockey. Well, I had the unlucky timing of joining the team when uh, when 
they decided to turn the corner. Uh, it just it, it wasn't what I was looking for at that time. So then it was off to beer leagues. And, man, if I knew what they would have turned into, because they turned into a real powerhouse in the ACHA. Yeah, they sure have. And, uh, you know, a lot of Cherokee alumni have gone to play for UT for Toledo. So, I mean. It, I think Boehner ended up there, if I'm not mistaken, after he was down in Spill. Uh, Selly ended up there after I was done. Yeah, I think they had uh, Dom Antonelli kid. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he, he was in my brother's class at St. Mary's. He ended up down there. A lot of those St. Mary's kids did. And, and they got they got a heck of a team now. But when I, when I was there, uh, I think one other kid on the team had even played juniors. Uh, the rest, uh, they were great people, but, you know, they, they, were, they were trying to make it a level that they themselves probably weren't ready for. And me having played where I did, I just, I wasn't on the same page as them. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, how hard was it for yeah. you when you realized you were done playing competitively? Uh, to have to adjust to real life in beer uh, league or whatever. How hard was it for you to make that adjustment? I think it was more relief than anything else. Um, when I was with the Cherokee, I would wake up and go to the gym for typically about an hour, hour and a half or so. Uh, go to school, whether that was at St. Mary's or at UT, because I was I was at UT my my second year with the Cherokee as well. Uh, get get over to practice at four o'clock or three o'clock, whatever time it was, and then we'd hit the gym afterward after that and. Uh, that, that was during the season, during the off seasons, you know, I'd be at the gym three or four hours a day and just the amount, the amount of time and effort that I put into it, I was kind of <clears throat> at peace that, Hey, this is, this is what it is. I gave it my best and it, I gotta, I gotta let it go now. Um, it didn't really start creeping in until Oh, I don't know, probably two or three years ago when I really started thinking about back on, well, what would have happened if I went up to Marquette? And, you know, would I have made that team or would it, would it have been more of the same? You know, was there a switch they could have found that maybe uh, changed something? And it's not regret, it's more curiosity. Um, I don't know. But the, the, the adjustment wasn't all that hard. Well, I guess what I'm thinking, too, is, you know, you, had, you could have, what could have been if you, uh, you know, if you had went. But I'm thinking, based on your medical history, what could have also happened if you continued to play? <laughs> and I'm serious, man. That's not, that's not. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely that, too. I mean, you're, the, I'm yeah. Well, so what, what's, what's not. No, what, what now? But no, I was just gonna say. All I'm. What, what's not funny is. <laughs> what, what's not funny is the worst concussions that I had actually were uh, right at the beginning uh, when I was playing with UT. Uh, Sally, healthy and uh, Nadolny, uh, Mikey Higgins. You know, drop 
a roster of ex-Cherokee players here, but we all played on this beer league out of Monroe, and we went up to Canada, and uh, I, su I suffered a pretty bad concussion in one of their tournaments. And then I came back to UT and two weeks later had another one. And that, that was kind of like the last straw of one and two to, to say, all right, you know what, we're, we're really done here. Uh, that and, you know, my feelings towards uh, the way that they were, they were going and I wasn't really trying to be a part of that plan. I, I tend to think that that's probably the best thing that could have happened to you as far as uh, whether it was in Marquette, a beer league, or at UT. You're obviously, you weren't, you're, you're physically weren't ready to handle, you know, another concussion like that. So I think it's probably for the best that you didn't play anymore. Oh, yeah. And, and, well, and it works out too, because then I, I get to focus on school, and uh, luckily I, I was able to to finish up at UT, and I ended up getting uh, a good job, and you know it, it leads me to where I'm at today. So, uh, I de definitely not bitter about it, the way things worked out. Just more curious than anything else, uh, I guess, is the overall feeling towards it. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, I'm with you there. I just uh, I think that if you know, obviously everything happens for a reason, and the path you were that you ended up going on led you to other things. Like, uh, as you said, your degree, your job, your your you got you know married, uh, you've got a baby now. I mean, all those things happen for a reason, buddy. And I think that oh, yeah. now now with that all being said, I'll wind her up here. Um, do you ever think about maybe getting back into the game, like coaching? Yeah, uh, I, I definitely, I definitely thought about it, and I did coach for a little bit back when I was in college. After I stopped playing, I, I just the little guys, mini mites, um, and then I, I sub in for my high school when they're in that flex season, in between summer and the actual winter season in the fall. Uh, where the coaches and uh, the head coach isn't allowed to be there. I, I kind of figure that I, did, I didn't really like the, the high schoolers because there's too much of an attitude there, it seems like. Um, I'll probably get back into it when, when my kid starts playing, but it's not something that I really have an itch that, to get behind the bench or anything like that. Oh, 
Uh, I don't. I don't know that there, there's really all too much to say. I know that. Um, I, I've remained close with a couple of guys, and unfortunately, uh, not as close to some of the others as I probably should have. But I, I guess if there's a piece of advice, I know you said at the beginning that there's uh, a lot of kids that are coming up through the system or younger kids that that listen to this. But uh, one of the things that I think I wish I would have known back then is that you, you can't take your, I'm sorry, you have to take full advantage of what they're providing for you there. Um, I was talking to Sally just only a year or two ago and he was telling me that between him and, and Pillmore and I forget the other names he dropped, they would go back out on the ice after practice, after their workouts at the ice house. And, you know, they'd stay out there for hours, you know, until midnight, one o'clock in the morning, perfecting their craft. And that's part of what ended up getting them up to Alpina. Uh, and, and when I was there, I didn't even like think to ask if we could do that, you know? Um, so, so definitely just take advantage of whatever opportunities are presented to you there and, and don't be be afraid to ask for for something while you're there because you know the, the organization's there obviously so kids can play hockey but to promote you to the next level you know that's that's another uh feather in their cap every time somebody makes it up there uh so they're going to do what what they can to make that possible yeah, that's very true Definitely, you know, I, I guess to build on that too, there's, there's a, a concept that I learned way much later uh, called radical candor. And I know a lot of hockey players are born with it anyway, but it's, it's the concept of saying something that may be hurtful or offensive or, or questionable, but you're not saying it to be mean. You're, you're saying it because you care so much and so deeply and it, it's mastering that type of conversation with your coaches that helps you unlock the, you know that next level of, of, of guidance and getting you to the next level and then that's just a skill that transitions you know once, once you're ready to to leave hockey behind and enter the workforce you know whatever that that career path may look like too. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, it's been wonderful talking to you, catching up with you, buddy, and I'm proud of myself because I, we went through this entire podcast with all the glitches and everything. Not once did I refer to you as your given nickname, Pig. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I stuck with Adam through the whole thing because I know you, know, I know you don't mind but I'm just saying, you know, I, 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 you're not, you know, 14 years old. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, and the ironic thing is, uh, for years it, at, at work, it's always been Adam. It's always been Adam. And only very recently, now that everyone's getting more comfortable with me, has it really transformed back into Big. And it's not everybody, uh, but it's starting to sneak back in there. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, buddy, I, I appreciate this. And uh, I know we'll stay in touch because whether we like it or not, man, our paths are going to cross again. <laughs> um, but seriously, it's, it's, I mean, it's always been a joy, a real joy, getting to know you, not only back then, but whenever our paths cross, it's always, it's that big smile on your face, and uh, yeah, that you're uh, just a rock-solid kid, a, a kid, you're an adult, but uh, you know what I mean, you know what I mean, there, you guys, yeah, you guys, no, I appreciate you guys that. always be my kids, no matter what, or the coaches will be always look at you as one of their kids but uh you're a young men now you know and so you know it's uh but still you, you were always one of those good guys and uh i always give it the uh the will you be able to you know uh babysit my kid test and you were one of the few that passed with flying colors so you know that tells me what kind of a quality human being you are and I really do appreciate the time that you took today to spend with me. I know you've been on the road this whole time, as everyone can tell, but as they can hear the the, uh, the noise in the background and everything. But I still do appreciate what the fact that you were able to come on here today and uh, spend some time reminiscing a little bit about some of that stuff. And it's been nothing short of a treat. So thanks so much, buddy and all the best and like i said we'll stay in touch uh it's been a pleasure you know it's always great catching up with you and i wanted to say thank you because it's been 13 years if my math's right uh since i've seen any of these guys where most of these guys um but uh, you know i'm listening to siski the other day and it's a guy that we played with together back in 08 and I haven't talked to him since then, but I get to hear his voice and hear his side of the story and, you know, learn about all those national championships that, that he won or hearing about DJ and all the great stuff that he's doing that back home. Um, you know, it, it's really been a treat to, to hear that stuff and, you know, now to be a part of it. I hope uh, I come across all right <laughs> for everybody there. I know I can sound a little bit... Uh, cocky sometimes yeah you did fine in that regard the only thing is all the it, it sounds now like you're more like on a plane than it does in a car but uh well i finally hit the highway i've been trying to get on we had that flood today up in detroit i finally got on the highway i've been trying to to get on the highway through the back roads the entire time wow well just in time everything will come in perfect now now that we're done uh but uh there you go. <laughs> That's all right. Well, I tell you what, Adam, thanks so much for doing this. And again, we'll keep in touch and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Nick. We'll all talk right. to you. Well, that's episode 85 of the Cherokee Rewind. Don't forget, please subscribe so that way every time a new episode drops, it will notify you. So just go to whatever uh, platform you use to digest all your podcasts and put in Cherokee Rewind and subscribe, and it'll let you know. So for Adam Pagula, I am Mick. We will talk to you next time right here on the Cherokee Rewind.